I've always loved a juggler, right? You, you just, but at the same time, you know, you love to watch the juggler. You, he's doing his stuff, doing all the things. But you're always a little nervous, right? You're always like, just one little, and it could just all fall apart. And he, he goes off in shame, and everyone's like, oh, he's no good, right? Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe you can relate to that a little bit in your life, that, that maybe it feels like you're, you're juggling a bunch of things. And it seems like at any point, if you just miss one, it could all just, just fall apart. I mean, there's, there's so much going on, right? There's the work stuff, uh, projects and task lists and deadlines. There's the family stuff. Depending on your stage of life, you might have uh, diapers to deal with or sick kids or homework or ball games or play dates or maybe all of those things. Uh, there, there's other family stuff like Aunt Betty, who's not talking to Cousin Al because of what happened 15 years ago. And it's all kind of in the background and you're, you're kind of wondering when it's going to come to the foreground. Maybe you're caring for aging parents while you're still raising your kids. If you're married, there's the marriage stuff, right? And, and sometimes it feels like you're just hanging on by a thread or maybe not hanging on by a thread. There's the, there's the house stuff and the car stuff and who's going to go to the grocery store and do we have enough money for everything? And, and then there's the hobby stuff. Maybe you knit or you crochet or you weave baskets. I don't know. Does anybody do any basket weaving? I don't know. Uh, maybe you follow a sports team. Maybe you, you, uh, Paint pictures or, or uh, edit videos or water ski or snowboard. Of course, there's, there's the new high score that you have to get on whatever game apps you're playing on your phone. And, and, and then, uh, besides all that stuff, there's the church stuff. Oh, my goodness, the church stuff. And we could go on and on and on and list all of the things. I feel like so many times we're jugglers, right? And we fill our time 24-7 with so much. And so... This series is all about the fact that maybe there's a better way. What if I told you that with a few changes, you could stop juggling and start living? It's actually how God set things up thousands of years ago. It's all about shifting from from 24-7 to a 24-6 life. Uh, Dr. Matthew Sleeth wrote a book with that, uh, that title, 24-6. If you want to read more about what we're doing here, um, uh, some of what, uh, uh, what we're, we're doing comes from, uh, from his book, 24-6. He says in that book, we are the first generation that can buy a car, watch a movie, or take classes 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We can, live, we can have a three-minute egg in 30 seconds or purchase a car at three in the morning, or get tomorrow's news tonight. Yet despite living with thousands of time-saving devices, many of us don't have enough hours in the day. We don't have enough time for friends and family. We don't have the time for the things that really matter. We don't have time for God. Instead, we find ourselves overwhelmed by the tyranny of the urgent. But God gave us a prescription for a more balanced Life. I, I read Dr. Sleeth's book a, a few years ago, and I was both challenged and encouraged by it. And uh, as I prayerfully considered uh, what uh, what our Sunday morning messages should be for the coming year, usually uh, uh, November, December, I, I uh, spend some time kind of lining things out for the whole year. And it, it just felt like there were a couple of weeks here where where I really felt impressed to uh, to talk about uh, some of these things and the importance of establishing a, a rhythm in life that guards against all of the juggling and the stress and the anxiety. It hasn't been that long ago, really, in our American culture that that everything pretty much stopped. Once a week, 
Most businesses were closed on Sundays. There, there, there wasn't a lot to do. There weren't all that many places to go because they just weren't open. Whether you're religious or not, uh, uh, people took a day off each week to rest. A lot of people went to church on Sunday. Jewish people observed Saturday. The Adventists, of course, as well. Most people were, were, were uh, uh, given and practiced a day each week where we could rest. But that rest day for many of us has disappeared, and uh, I believe that Dr. Sleeth is right that uh, that it's had its consequences. Because if you take if you take one day each week times fifty two uh, weeks a year, so so fifty two days a year times the average lifespan, it equals over eleven years. If you take away eleven years from anything, it's going to have an impact, and there's there's an impact when we don't take that. That time, there's an impact on our physical health, on our mental health, and most of all, I believe, our, our spiritual health. God didn't want his people to live 24-7. He set things up for us to live 24-6. It's all about being intentional about practicing what Scripture calls Sabbath. Well, where does that come from? Well, in Exodus 20, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, right? And, and, uh, he, he wrote them, they were so important, he wrote them on stone so that his people would, would know how they should live. Maybe you have them all memorized. I would guess you have a general idea of most of those Ten Commandments in your head. And I think in this crowd here today, we would all agree that those Ten Commandments are, are, are probably, uh, they give us some good guidance on how to live. If, if, we, if we follow those things, we're probably, probably on track, right? Uh, honor God, honor His name, don't lie, don't steal, don't kill anybody. You know, the list goes on. It's, it's probably a good way to live. I remember... Um, when we were constructing this uh, this building. So let's see. Well, next month it'll be uh, 16 years ago that we moved in here. And so it would have been in the fall. The uh, building, the structure was up, the roof was on, the, the windows and doors were in, the studs were in the walls. But but at about that point on a Sunday night, uh, we, we met here at the building uh, and we handed out magic markers to everybody. And we said, go at it, uh, write uh, scripture, write uh, inspirational things, uh, and so all over the place, inside the walls and on the floors, there are uh, scriptures and, and other things written. Um, like, like right here on the, uh, on the altar along, someone wrote uh, part of 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, I remember. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Right there on the altar. On the, on the floor of my office, uh, it's, it's 2 Timothy 2.15. Someone wrote, I think they thought I needed it, study to show thyself approved unto God. I think it was supposed to be encouraging and not, uh, not judgmental. But anyway, uh, so there's stuff everywhere, all over the place. Um, all ages were given these, uh, these markers. If I remember correctly, and I think I do, there are, uh, and some of you were there, so you can correct me or not, but um, uh, at that time, our kids were going through a, a study in Sunday school or children's church on the Ten Commandments. And so they were learning about, uh, about the, these commandments and how important they were and pretty much studying one every week. And, and it, it appears that uh, they had just finished studying the seventh commandment in the morning that day. And so somewhere on the studs, and I believe it's between where the, where the nursery butts up to the, the women's bathroom, on the, the st- one of the studs in that wall, I believe it's written in a child's handwriting, no adultery. 
These are good things to live by, right? We would, we would agree with that. No adultery. This, was, this would not be a way to live. We believe that the Ten Commandments are right and true, and they are great things to, to live by. We wish everyone would follow all of them. I mean, almost all of them, right? I mean, the Christians in Western society today don't, uh, don't seem to have uh, too much. Well, they're, they're not all that great at following number, number four. That's the one about remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. It's actually, I don't know if you know this or not, if you pulled up Exodus 20, you'd see that it's, it's the longest of all the Ten Commandments. If the Ten Commandments were a piece of pie, or were a pie split up in ten pieces, depending, uh, you'd want number four. It is literally a third, it's the longest one, it's a third of the, uh, of the, uh, the, the whole Ten Commandments, just in length. But, but God's people have always seemed to have some difficulty following this one. I, I want us to read the whole thing. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, it says this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I don't know if you know this or not, uh, that uh, it's referring to Genesis chapter two, uh, where where God rested on that on that seventh day, and it's the first time in Scripture where the word holy is used in the Bible. The seventh day was holy because God stopped working and rested. Up to this point, everything uh, has, has he, he's been creating uh, something out of nothing, right? But on the seventh day, God made nothing out of something. He rested. Rest. He he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he's holy. He rested because he knew that we would need the reminder to stop. He knew that we'd forget to stop, that we'd forget to rest, and that we'd forget to look to him. Sabbath literally means to cease, or in our terminology, to stop. It's a stop day, okay? It's, It's all about stopping from your work and your daily routines to seek God. Eugene Peterson uh, once wrote, Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our own activities long enough to see what God is doing. If you look at, at Genesis chapter 1 and you chart each day of creation, there's a rhythm to it. If you've read that recently or not, but uh, it, it says, uh, you know, God created day 1, and then at the end of that, that section it says, and there was evening and there was morning. And then day two, and it gives, goes, there was evening and there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. Uh, evening and morning, evening. Interestingly, it's, it's not morning, evening. That's kind of how we, we live, but it's evening, morning. Uh, Dr. Dan Boone writes about that. He says, each new day begins with night. When we go to sleep, God begins the new day. We begin each day resting. While we're sawing logs, God is recalibrating his creation. The moon marks the seasons, the waves clean the shores, the lion stalks its prey, earthworms aerate the land, proteins repair our damaged muscles, enzymes digest our food, night cools the earth, dew refreshes the ground. We wake up in a universe humming with the creative activity of God. 
we rest so that we can work. I think we usually think about it the other way around. I, I work hard so I can crash on the weekend, so I can play hard. Uh, and, and yes and no, I mean, that's true. We do rest from our labor. We get tired, so we need to rest and, and, and rejuvenate. But, but we're also resting well so that we can work well. Taking a day each week to rejuvenate starts, starts to convince us that the world doesn't necessarily revolve around us and our work. If Take me out of the picture and life is still going to go on. That kind of takes the wind out of my sails. I want to think that I'm a little more important than that, right? But, but realizing that the world does not revolve around you or your work can actually revitalize you and your work. It helps to keep things in perspective. Rest, work, rest, work, evening, morning, rest, work. Observing a Sabbath ensures that we are at the very worst, uh, that at the very worst, we are never more than six days away from a holy perspective. And then I love Gordon MacDonald. He wrote, somewhere along the line, most of us bought into productivity as a chief value in life. The lie that came along with this value was that we, that the more we work, the greater would be the productivity. The end result, rest is dangerous to productivity. We can only rest after the work is done. He doesn't pull any punches. This is stupid, he says, frankly. But most of us live as if we really believe it. The Sabbath. Jesus went round and round with the Pharisees about this concept of the Sabbath. And, and on the surface, it looks like the Pharisees may be having it right. I mean, they were, they were strict about practicing all of these laws and all of the, they had all these laws, all these things that you couldn't do on the Sabbath because it was, uh, it, it was considered work. If you, if you did this or you did that, uh, it was unholy. Uh, it, it had gotten a little out of hand. There's a, there's a story, uh, that, that was, uh, that, that's told that I heard about a, a Pharisee who was standing at his door, one foot up in the air, uh, looking to go inside, looking like he's ready to go inside, but he's frozen there, foot in the air until sundown because he had taken the maximum number of steps on the Sabbath and he couldn't go any further or he would be sinning to actually go ahead and go go in the door. Uh, Jesus says that missed the point. In Mark 2.27, he says the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. The Pharisees had turned rest into work. (laughs) Uh, God gave us the Sabbath so we wouldn't always be working. And so if you ignore rest on the one hand, or if you get legalistic about rest and make it all about the laws of of what resting is all about, then then you're missing the point either way. We need to rest from all that that juggling, right? It's it's funny, the the law about... uh, only be able to walk a certain distance on the Sabbath, and that seems like a big limit, and I can't go here and do that, and, and I can only go a certain amount if I go more. The, the distance that they, that they uh, established uh, for the Sabbath was, was about two-thirds of a mile. That, uh, so in our day, if you were walking uh, out and back, uh, and uh, a third of a mile out, a third of a mile back, that's kind of the circumference. That's how much you could walk in, uh, it'd probably take you, what, about 10 minutes or so. And that's the, that's the circle of, of life for that, that 24 hours. But rather than seeing that as a limit, I think maybe we could see that as an opportunity. Because I think so many times we scurry right past all the stuff that's right in front of us. And what if we just slowed down? What if we stopped? What if we allowed God to speak to us through the things that are right around us? 
Again, Dr. Sleeth says, when we shut the lawnmowers off, we find that the birds have been singing. And the Lord is known to use an even quieter voice. Stopping and staying in place yields the kind of stillness that allows us to hear and see what has always been there. Practicing Sabbath is is really about prioritizing our relationship with God. It's not about the rules. It's not about, oh, I'm not going to do this or not going to do that, and I can't do this, and I can only go so far. It's all about prioritizing our relationship with God. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things, the balls that we're juggling, right? All these things, it's not that, he doesn't deny that those things are, he talks about all these things and and those things are important. I mean, you need fulfillment, you need relationships, you need daily bread and clothing and and shelter, you need to work, you need hobbies, you you need to be a, a good parent, a good spouse, a good employee, but all those things can't be what we seek first. And when we get those things out of, out of whack, out of balance, that's when the balls all start to fall. I mean, if you seek your job first, relationships are probably going to suffer. Your health might suffer. Your, your marriage might, uh, might uh, suffer. Uh, uh, stress could, could go through the roof. Uh, your kids might forget what you look like. Uh, forget about time for church. I'm seeking my job for everything else is, is subject to that. Or, or, I mean, seek your marriage and family first. Well, that sounds important. That sounds great. We need to do that, right? Well, well uh, if you do, there's probably some consequences. Maybe your job would suffer. Uh, maybe uh, then you get stressed over, over money. Maybe you're at every soccer game and every band concert and every horseback riding lesson, but there's not a lot of time left for, uh, for effort to be put into your discipleship and your relationship with God investing in the church and in, in ministry, because family's first. And so faith tends to take a back seat. Seek your health first. Well, that's important. Uh, you're nothing if you don't have your health, right? Well, uh, you could spend all your time exercising, working out, and cooking up healthy organic meals, and your cholesterol numbers could be amazing. <laughs> but what if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? You could even say your ministry for, I'm going to dive into the church and do everything that I can for God. I'm, I'm going to make my ministry number one. Well, you can get so busy, and pastor's really saying this, I promise. You can get so busy in your church work that everything else is out of whack, and you can get burned out and frustrated, and, and then you change churches, and, and, and you, uh, you, you complain about all that they made you do, but maybe it wasn't all their fault because you had everything out of whack, and you were seeking the wrong things first. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things start taking their proper place in our lives. I guess what I'm saying, and maybe this is the number one thing that, that has hit me between the eyes in, in looking at this, uh, this topic. Practicing Sabbath reminds me that I am first and foremost a child of God before anything else. Before any other duty, before any other relationship, before anything else that I do, uh, I am first and foremost a child of God. I'm pursuing a deeper relationship with God, and that relationship and that pursuit shapes everything else that I do. So I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ who happens to have a job and a family and a ministry and runs to stay in shape and roots for the Buckeyes on Saturdays and roots for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl next week, which I'm getting pretty used to doing because they're there all the time. Go Chiefs. Woo! 
I'll go Browns too. It's okay. It's fine. But I'm first and foremost a child of God. All those other things fall in line, but I'm first and foremost a child of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think that is an underlying principle that is spelled out through commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's, it's that easy. Now, it's easy, but it's not, it's not necessarily, it, it, maybe it's not easy, but it's, it's, it's that simple, right? Sure, all of the parts of your life are always going to vie for attention and there, there's, there's always tension to, to manage, but, but when the number one priority of, of Jesus is, is in place, everything else falls in line and Sabbath helps us do that. God gave us the Sabbath because we, he knew that we'd need the reminder. So we have to regularly rest our bodies and connect with friends and family and, and worship our creator. These are, these are the things that should be filling our times of rest. Dr. Sleeth in his book says that rest can look different to, for each one of us to an extent. Uh, simply figure out what is work for you and then don't do it for that day, right? Dr. Boone, again, I've quoted him before, uh, and, and he, he says that instead of enforcing a Sabbath rest, we should be playing, dancing with it. I, I love this. He says, I think God hopes to catch us fully alive on Sunday, worshiping with our whole heart, photographing a fall tree resplendent in sunburst colors, bouncing a snowmobile over the hills, cranking a stereo player with our, with our favorite music and lying on the floor singing along, wrestling with kids in cool grass, laughing with friends on the back porch running for a pass in the end zone, curled up with a good book, taking a nap while pretending to be interested in a football game, embracing the love of our life, resting, just resting in the grace of God. Or maybe, just maybe, dancing with the law of the Sabbath. See, I think we could see this as this, you better do this. That's not the intent of the Sabbath at all. We were... The Sabbath wasn't made to be enforced on us. <laughs> we were made to experience it. I, I, I know that all of this Sabbath talk is a little countercultural to our busy lives today. But, I mean, that's exactly what Jesus calls us to be, right? Countercultural. Uh, you'll, you'll no doubt have to make some changes in order to start to implement a rhythm of Sabbath in your life. But it's, it's worth it. I in, encourage you to try it. Uh, it won't be easy, but, but nothing worth doing is easy. Living a 24-7 life just isn't sustainable. God, God knows that. You can't juggle everything on your own forever. So what do we do? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You are first and foremost a child of God before anything else. So live 24-7. Dr. Sleeth says this, rest is stopping from one's work, whatever that work may be. Rest is freedom from harassment. It is the quiet after the storm. It is children fresh out of a bath with pruned figure, fingers and the smell of baby shampoo uh, tucked under their blankets before bedtime. Rest is the sound of the night breeze rattling the palms as it comes in off the gulf. Rest is putting your head down on the pillow knowing that you can sleep in. 
Rest is the beast of burden unhitched from the plow. Rest is walking around the edge of shorn cornfields in the fall. Rest is reading and setting the book aside when your eyes get too heavy. Rest is the sound of the wind through the screen porch of the beach house. Rest is stopping. It is staring up through the thin Colorado night sky at the spine of our galaxy. Rest is thinking about all the things that you could do on a Sunday afternoon and hearing a still small voice tell you to just stop and then taking a God-ordained nap. Sorry, honey, can't do that this afternoon. Pastor told me I needed to take a nap. Dr. Sleeth mentions one activity uh, in his book that I'd, I'd like us to, uh, to walk through today uh, as, we, as we close. It involves saying the words, uh, Psalm 4610, um, just bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're going to think about this phrase, be still and know that I am God. In an attitude of prayer, allow yourself to rest in the presence of God today. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I be still and know that. Be still and know. Be still and be still. Be. Lord God, we are yours. We confess that we're, we're awful busy, and a lot of times we miss you. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us each to consider, to really consider with you prayerfully what Sabbath would mean in our lives. You don't want this to be a, 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 big, a big burden for us to carry. It's a gift. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to take advantage of this gift worship you today, recognizing and knowing that you are God. In Jesus' name, amen.